Psycho Grandmas. Aged out old ladies with murder on the mind. Whacked out pill poppers, fake lashes, and all the pancake makeup you can stand. This episode is all about exploiting crazy old biddies. And we've got our mothballs, our hot tea, and some actual skeletons in the closet as we celebrate a history of hag exploitation in film. This is Slums of Film History, a lowbrow look into the high art of cinema. Every episode is an in-depth look into a niche topic of film that is not normally discussed in polite company. I'm Slate. And I'm Tom. In each episode, each one of us researches our respective topic, writes an episode, and then schools the other. We discuss everything from bodily fluids to TNA to exploding heads. If there's a film subject that's too taboo, we haven't found it yet. Welcome. Tom. Hey, Slate. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited for this episode. Yeah, so. I am too. I, I don't know anything about hag exploitation, so I'm gonna, I'll learn something. Today. I'm going to explain it to you. But first, we just want to kind of address a couple of questions. Actually, only really one question, which I constantly get, which is, are we going to run out of topics? Yeah. I don't get this question. A matter of fact, the only question I get is, you have a podcast? That's uh-huh. usually the question I get. Right. But yeah. maybe one day, but every time I dig into one topic, and I, th- I think you can agree with me, every time I start researching one topic, brings up a bunch of shit that I want to talk about later. Right. Five more come out of right. that. Well, that's interesting. And that's that was my answer, too, is that you know we keep a Google document and we just constantly add more topics on there. And even when we started doing it, I had all of these topics planned out. And then I found things that I liked more than the topics that we were planning. So right. and that's how this episode on hag exploitation happened. I was originally doing incest and I started, you know, kind of like going through things and and then I found this kind of weird topic called hag exploitation started to dig in and I was like Sounds this great. is this is my episode now. So, right. And I know you're really excited about it. And I for am. the record, Slate is sort of a, you know, he's very prepared and so he pretty much has topics laid out to like 2030. So, I, yeah. I'm a crazy list person that puts yeah. everything so, on lists yeah. So, and yeah, when Slate I'm stressed Slate will never run lists out of, stuff. of things. I have topics for the rest of my life. Yes. Good. Okay. All right. Good. So today we're talking about hag exploitation in yep. cinema. But I want to start by saying that not all movies with a crazy old lady is a form of hag exploitation. Okay. The name hag exploitation came from the more demure name Grand Dame Guignol, which is what more sophisticated people call this type of film. There's actually a book about it, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But we're going to talk about all types of crazies today. But I want to start by classifying some of these film characteristics, kind of what makes a hag exploitation film. Right. I didn't know any of this, and I know you don't. So I don't. I'm, I just, I'm not well versed on crazy ladies. Right. So hag exploitation films need to meet a certain criteria, which I made up, and I'm going to tell you my five point criteria. Okay. And then we're going to have a little bit of a recap so that we know moving forward why these films are hag exploitation films. Okay. So number one, the hag in the movie needs to be of a reasonable grandmotherly age. I'm going to call that fifty plus. Fifty plus. Mm-hmm. Okay. She needs to be, that's number two, she needs to be certifiably nuts. Not a member of a cult or a crazy family or a group of zombies, although we'll talk about this. Okay. She needs to be acting on her own volition, and that volition is, like, nutso. She's nuts. Okay. She needs to be the focus of the movie, not a secondary character or a bit of comic relief, like someone that's irreplaceable in the movie. Okay. 
It's not imperative, but it helps that the actress is thought to be washed up or past her prime. Not just the role, but the actress portraying her is is kind of like a washed oh, up old actress. Okay. Yeah, that makes, okay. It's kind of further exploiting her by insinuating that moviegoers will not see a movie she's in unless she's crazy. Huh. And then there's usually some type of Hollywood theatrical vaudeville element to the film, meaning that like a washed up old biddy was at one time famous or thought she was and is still struggling to get it back. Yeah. It's kind of sexist, but it also makes for a better movie. I see that. So, that makes sense. So those are kind of the five points. I have a question before we get going on that. Uh-huh. As a grandmotherly type, what about sexual attraction? Like she can't be milfy. Like oh, she's still kind of hot even though she's fifty. Because there's some women that are still hot and fifty, but they this, they cannot be in sexually attractive in any way. Is that I, part of it? I'm not gonna say yes or no, but basically no. She needs to be like a crazy old lady, and that is her role. Because the you know the whole thing about Hollywood is that as an actress, you're kind of after you're post thirty, yeah. and then once you're in the forties. It's like, I'm sorry, but like, unless you're going to be Jennifer Goodwin in American Pie, like, it's over for you. Right. You got to figure out better roles. Okay, gotcha. Okay. All right. So I know that's a lot to remember. So I've made up some flashcards for you. <laughs> and and oh, this will be good. a good way oh, of good. kind of determining whether these characters, fondly known characters, are hagsploitation characters or not. I'm excited. Are you ready? I am. I'll read them out loud as I go, and then I've written the correct answer on the back. Okay, mm-hmm. this is graded. Here's the first one. It's Maud from Harold and Maud. Would you consider her to be a hagsploitation? No. And why? She's not really crazy. That, that's exactly. I wrote no, not crazy enough. Yes. <laughs> one for one, all right. Good. I, I, I'm all over this. Come on. She does meet certain types of criteria because she is kind of the focus of the movie. She, the movie could not exist without her, but she's just not crazy enough. Right. Okay. This is The Witch in Hansel and Gretel. No. I wrote fuck yeah. The Witch in Hansel and Gretel? Well, because, so she wants to cook and eat children. Uh, I feel like that's, I don't know. I feel like these hag exploitation women are barely keeping it together, and she mm-hmm. seems to be pretty fully you in control. You think she's got a solid plan? I think plan. She, she's nuts and she eats children, uh-huh. but she seems to have her shit together. Well, th- okay, I'm, listen, that's totally fair. I mean, her plan in life is to eat children, and, and, and she she's seems trying a, to accomplish that. And she seems effective at that. Like she, uh-huh. she's got a solid plan. And You're she's, saying that just because she's eating children doesn't mean she's crazy. I'm, I'm not saying she's not crazy. What I'm saying is that she's not someone who's on the verge of like losing control. Uh, she seems to kind of got her shit together. That's totally fair. Saying. Totally okay. fair. This is Mama Fratelli in The Goonies. I do want to shout this one out. My boss at work, Paul, gave me this recommendation. All right. And I'm going to say no for another reason. is because she's running shit. She's totally in control. She's, I mean, she's diabolical, but certainly not. She's a murderer. Correct. That's right. They kill someone. But certainly within her faculties and knows, I think she's in firm control. Agreed. I wrote maybe. I wrote maybe. She's not crazy enough. Also, she, not really a main character. Like, you could replace her with someone else, with a male character. Or whatever, yeah. and it, it'd She's be clearly fun. not the focus of the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. This next one is Glenn Close from Fatal Attraction. Maybe too young. Is okay. Too young. Well, I'm nailing this. Norman Bates's mother from Psycho. Mm, okay, you're giving me the look. So, no. Mm-mm. Well, she does. I mean, she's, she's not, not alive. She's, she's well, dead. I know. <laughs> Louise Fletcher from Flowers yes. in the Attic. I wrote close. Um, I, think, I think yes. The age is right. She technically is a murderer. She's not necessarily a main character, but but pretty good. Pretty okay. good. She's right. got most of this. All right. I'm with you. Cruella DeVille from yep. 100 and... Yes. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's a puppy murderer. And then the last one is uh, Debbie Harry from Tales of the Dark Side. No. I don't think so. No? Psychopath, yes. 
coolly, calmly in control. Well, are you going to talk about Tales of the Dark Side a little bit? Are you going to explain Not this? Not really, no. The, okay. I don't really talk about any of these. This was just more of well, a let discussion. Me, well, here's why I say no. And mm-hmm. okay, So Tales from the Dark Side is a, a movie based on the show, and it's an anthology movie, horror movie. And there's a wraparound story where Debbie Harry has a kid held captive, and she's going to cook him for this meal. She's having a dinner party. And the kid tells it's all these modern sto- day Hansel and Gretel. And this really kid, and, yeah, and this kid's telling all these stories that you see the movies of, you see the film depictions of, to postpone being cooked. Right. But she's very matter of fact. She's very calm. I feel like these exploitation we're going to learn about to find out. We're about to find out seem like they're all just on the verge of this nervous breakdown. And I don't think Debbie that's Harry- the box office draw okay. is watching these previously glamorous women lose their shit, lose lose it. Okay. Yeah. So okay, that's fair. That's totally fair. And right. also, I mean, that's so similar to Hansel to the Witch and Hansel and Gretel. It's kind sure. of a modern day version of it. So you were very consistent in your. If you didn't think that the Witch and Hansel and Gretel is, and you don't think Debbie Harry is, then you're answering very consistently. So. Right, good. All right. I, that means I win. All right. Well, that was the first round of flashcard. <laughs> the first round? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That, I just thought oh that flashcards were, you know. Glad I, mean, I started I love, drinking early. I love stupid gimmicks. Mm. Let's get into the actual episode. All right, good. So, the first of the crazy old lady movies was Arsenic and Old Lace in 1944. Okay, sure. Okay. Yeah. Cary Grant played the nephew of two old aunts that poison and kill old single men as charity, since without a wife, they are worthless. And it's a comedy. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. It's actually considered to be one of the best comedies of all time. And it's still pretty enjoyable in a screwball type of way. Sure. Its portrayal of crazy old biddies would inspire many comedic old ladies in film as the perfect old nice lady, but she's got a little secret. Sure. But there's a body in the window seat. Yes, dear. We know. <laughs> Interesting note, Arsenic and Old Lace is inspired by an actual crazy old lady named Sister Amy Archer Gilligan. Huh. She ran a home for the elderly, and after residents would give her all of their money, she would kill them. She killed anywhere from 20 to 60 people in a 10-year span and spent the rest of her life in prison. Clearly a madcap uh, comedy story. Yeah. Well, so how, that how would you translation... not look at that story and be like, there's a joke in here? There, yeah, there's definitely humor in all of this. So yeah, well done. Yeah. Speaking of murderous old dames, Sunset Boulevard in 1950 oh, is probably one of the yeah. most acclaimed exploitation films. Sure. I watched it recently. I had never seen it. It is, I think it's even on the top 10 of, of AFI's best films of all time. Yeah. And I kind of was like, oh, you know, sometimes you watch these old movies and, it, and it's just like, oh, good. I don't even oh, yeah. want to sit here and watch this. Sunset Boulevard is a masterpiece. It yeah. is, it's beautifully filmed. It's still relevant today. It's it's just a, it's a great film. And I haven't I, seen it forever, so I yeah. need to watch it again. I watch a lot of like old, you know, boring films and I'm just kind of like, I mean, that's why we're doing slums of film history, not history of the golden age of, of boring. <laughs> so anyway, Sunset Boulevard is about a silent movie star named Norma Desmond that yeah. has aged out of Hollywood. She was a silent film actress and sure. now in the age of talkies, she's done. She's and she's old. She's trying to plan her comeback, but frequent depression and suicide attempts have made her unstable. Right. She begins a relationship with a much younger aspiring Hollywood screenwriter that's using her for her money. And she gets crazier and crazier. He's not exactly helping that. And then there's the climax. I'm not going to tell you what happens because um, it's such a plot point that you can even see in movies like American Beauty, you know, but it, it was the first time it was ever done. So I'm not going to, I you do a lot of sort spoilers, of did, but, but yeah, I'm not going to do it for Beauty, this but, one. But no, I, and I think I kind of, the movie's been out forever, so I sort of know what it is, but I heard yeah. it's still, yeah, it's still worth seeing and it still does that really well. So yeah. But at the end, she descends this grand staircase in her house as police and photographers mob her. And she says one of the most classic lines in Hollywood history, 
All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready, ready for, for my, my close-up. You see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. The mother of all hagsploitation movies is 1962's Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Oh, yeah. I've seen it numerous times. It's one of my favorite movies. It's on my list of top 25 movies of all time. And I really want to do it justice. But I want to start by saying that Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is fucking bonkers. Like, it's absolutely <laughs> yeah, insane. Especially is. for a film in the early 60s. Yeah. You know, The long and short is it's Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, both considered washed-up has-beens at the time. And they're playing washed-up has-been sisters. And what happens is baby Jane, Betty Davis, keeps Blanche, her sister, which is Joan Crawford, hostage. She murders their housekeeper, and she's trying to get her vaudeville children's act back on the road. Um, But let's back up a little. Okay, yeah. Joan Crawford was an Oscar-winning actress that got her start in silent films and made an easy transition to talkies in the late 20s. Okay. At one time, she was the biggest star at MGM and one of the highest paid women in showbiz. Yeah. Now that all started to fade at the end of the 30s as her film started to lose money. And she was let out of her MGM contract in 1943 after being labeled box office poison. It was devastating to her. But she moved on to Warner Brothers for a lot less money and made Mildred Pierce in 1946, which won her her only Oscar. Right. So she was no stranger to the rises and falls of Hollywood. Sure. But by the early 60s, leading roles for women north of 40 were few and far between. And Joan was in her 50s. Yeah. Betty Davis was also a huge star, but in a much different way. Betty took the roles that other actresses didn't want. So she was, you know, she wasn't particularly beautiful or glamorous like Joan Crawford. She was more of like an actress's actress. Yeah. And she liked the business of Hollywood. In fact, she was the first female president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, as well as the first person to ever nab 10 acting Oscar nominations. Oh, wow. Yeah, she won two. But even Betty Davis fell victim to Hollywood's ageism. Of course. She was struggling for a decent role after a few mediocre stints at movies and theater by the early 60s. She was pushing 60 herself and hadn't had an Oscar nomination in 10 years. She hadn't won one in 24. And any role for an older woman, especially a leading role, she would have to go up against other aged out women stars of the 30s and 40s like Olivia de Havilland or Shelley Winters or Joan Crawford. Right. Betty Davis and Joan Crawford had years of bad blood between the two of them. They were both super bitches. Like, (laughs) they were just like bitches. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What were they? Uh, Bitches. <laughs> so their arguments would range from men to Oscars to turn down sure. film roles. Yeah. They both needed a hit, and they knew that the two of them together would draw at least some interest at the time. Right. The meteoric success of Psycho in 1960 proved that a low-budget black-and-white shocker could make money. Mm-hmm. So they both invested in the film and agreed to co-star in it. They fought over top billing. They fought over everything. Right. They badmouthed each other throughout the filming and to the press until their death. Sure. But to be honest, it did nothing but escalate the movie's legacy. They're both so batshit crazy in the movie that thinking that they're batshit in real life adds a whole nother layer to the viewing of the film. Well, yeah, and that animosity came out on the screen, too. They hated each other, and you could see it. Yeah. You know? So here's the rough plot. Okay. Baby Jane is a child sensation performing Mm -hmm. in sold-out vaudeville shows, but is also a huge C-word. 
while Blanche, her sister, is kind, but she's not famous. We flash forward to the 30s where Blanche is now famous and successful, but Betty is not. Okay. There's a car accident and Blanche is left in a wheelchair. Flash forward again and now the two live together in their late 50s. Baby Jane is drinking and getting crazier and crazier. <laughs> Blanche is trying to get her into a home but is confined to her room in her, in her wheelchair. Baby Jane ends up keeping her tied up as she tries to get her vaudeville show off the road, starts serving Blanche dead animals for dinner, and even kills their maid with a hammer. There's a big twist at the very end that turns some of the blame here, but for the most part, you can say that this was Betty Davis and Joan Crawford as audiences had never seen before. So what were the accolades for this movie? So surprisingly to pretty much everyone, whatever happened to Baby Jane was a huge critical and financial success. Yeah. It was filmed for less than a million and it made a fortune for everyone involved, including Joan Crawford and Betty Davis, you know, who had invested in it. Audiences loved it. Some thought it was funny. Some were truly terrified and others just thought it was balls out the weirdest thing that they had ever seen in their lives. Yeah. She's sick and she's not getting any better. Jane, please. Don't do this to me. Jane! Jane, please! I've written a letter to Daddy saying I love you. Betty Davis got an Oscar nomination and it got four additional nominations, winning Best Costume Design. And then it spawned a whole genre of Baby Jane knockoffs, some of which Betty and Joan would star in. Right. And it gave many generations of gay men and drag queens arguably the first camp movie that they would quote for the next 52 years. Amazing. You wouldn't be able to do these awful things to me if I weren't still in this chair. But you are, Blanche. You are in that chair. <laughs> A slew of low-budget black-and-white exploitation films would pour out over the next few years due to the success of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And that was starting with Straight Jacket in 1964, and that was starring Joan Crawford. Nice. Straight Jacket is an awesome, crazy William Castle-directed film. Never seen it. I have yeah. no idea it's anything about, about it. It's all about axe murders. At this point, William Castle was famous for his terrible B-films that had unusual marketing gimmicks. He was the one that put buzzers in the seats for screenings of The Tingler. <laughs> and a plastic skeleton that was flown over the audience in screenings of House on Haunted Hill. Oh, yeah. Remember that John Goodman played him in the movie Matinee. Okay, It yeah. was kind of like a, you know, a character that was based on him. Sure. In 1993. Castle's main shtick was to quickly and cheaply knock off hit films and then get them out fast before the audience tired of the genre. Right. He was obsessed with Psycho, and then he was obsessed with whatever happened to Baby Jane. His dream was to mash the two together, which he did. <laughs> he actually great. got the writer of psycho to write straight jacket for Joan Crawford. He, he wanted it. to mesh them and he did. That's amazing. The rough plot is that a woman, Lucy, kills her husband with an axe and is sent to a mental hospital. 20 years later, she's released to find her seemingly normal daughter and family start to experience more axe murdering. I won't tell you what happens at the end, but it's an actual shocker. Like, it's a really satisfying now ending. I gotta, now I gotta watch it. Yeah. And Joan Crawford, who was hit or miss in the later years of her career, is really good in the film. It's pretty cheap in comparison. Right. But, like, it's a, it's a fun film. It's, okay. it's a worth a watch. I'll have to give it a shot. Joan Crawford. We'll put on the site, too. Yep. All right. 
Joan Crawford would only make four more films after Straightjacket, and even though she headlined most of them, she was usually like not the draw. She did make one more exploitation film, Berserk, in 1968. She plays a circus ring mistress in which strange murderers keep taking place. It actually opens with a pretty wacko scene where a tightrope walker is like walking across the tightrope, and then you see starts to like splinter, like the rope is going to give way. And as the rope gives way, he falls, and the rope, for some reason, this doesn't make any sense, but like wraps around his neck, and he's hung in front of the whole circus-going right, audience. That's, that's pretty awesome. It's a shocker. That's like great. I was like, yeah. "Holy shit! That's a good that's a good opening scene." That's in the great. Movie. Yeah. I have a question. So because this is 1968 mm-hmm. and we're the rating system just came in, were, were there any profanity or nudity in this? Just to touch on old topics that we've already talked about. I don't think I saw any nudity in any of the exploitation films of, of the rip, you know, of, of that genre. My guess is, is that the actresses at that time, meaning Joan Crawford, Betty Davis, Olivia de Havilland, okay. would probably not want a young, attractive, nude actress in their movie, of which they were starring. Yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? What about profanity? Was it just the hells and dams, things that were normally not so provocative? Some profanity. There's uh, one of the movies of Betty Davis. She definitely is like screaming bitches and stuff like that. Oh, cool, but cool. I mean, these were horror films, but they were just a different type of horror film. I gotcha. It, it was, it's bizarre to say the least. And then you talk about something like Psycho, which has no profanity in nope. it. You know, interesting. Very interesting. All right. Joan Crawford died in 1977, but she left one other huge performance behind. We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. What about Betty Davis? Yeah. So Joan Crawford wasn't the only one that knocked off her whatever happened to Baby Jane fame. Betty Davis made numerous crazy old Betty pictures after this, the most famous being Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte in 1964. Mm -hmm. Originally planned as a sort of sequel, Crawford wouldn't end up agreeing to doing another movie with Betty Davis because she hated her and they were bitches. Right, bitches. Mm -hmm. And Olivia de Havilland replaced her. It actually has four old ladies, including Endora from Bewitched and silent movie star Mary Astor. Okay. Hush, hush, sweets. Gay people cannot say this. Because <laughs> we just lisp all over the place. You need to leave that part in. Anyway, go ahead. Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte opens with the grisly murder of Charlotte's fiance in 1927 and then okay. jumps to present day 1964. Charlotte is a spinster now. This is Betty Davis. And everyone thinks that she was the murderer. Her cousin comes to visit, but things don't go as planned, mainly because ghosts start showing up and Betty Davis keeps shooting guns at people. Nice. It even includes some drug-induced trip-out stuff. Oh, wow. The ending actually twists a few more times than the average horror film. Huh. If you're not a fan of that campier exploitation films, this is the one for you. Okay. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Huh. Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte was, again, surprisingly, another huge success for Betty Davis. It proved a comeback for Olivia de Havilland as well, and Agnes Moorhead got a Supporting Actress Oscar nomination. In fact, it was nominated for seven Oscars, which at the time was the most for any horror genre film. That's crazy. The winners of five prior Academy Awards and 21 Academy nominations now bring you suspense unequaled in the history of the screen. Shock that will leave you speechless. Why wouldn't I tell him that his pure, darling little girl was having a dirty little affair with a married man? You're a vile, sorry little trap! What was the warped and twisted thing that turned this house into a nightmare? What's going on up there that you don't want me to see?
For her next film, Betty Davis ripped off another of her previous films, A Stolen Life from 1946. For the second time in her career, she played twins, but this time much crazier twins than in her heyday in the 40s. Dead Ringer is also a great film with some pretty surprising moments. Uh, And then she made The Nanny in 1965. The fourth would prove to be the last of the Betty Davis comeback films, although four hits in a row ain't bad. No, not at all. That's great. I consider all of them classics, but, you know, for all different reasons. Sure. Many other actresses would follow suit in the eight or ten years after the successful comebacks of the Hagsploitation gals, okay. to name a few. Barbara Stanwyck in The Night Walker, Olivia de Havilland again in Lady in a Cage. Lady in a Cage is kind of crazy. I watched it. She gets trapped in, like, a elevator cage that would move people in a wheelchair from the top floor to the bottom floor. Okay, yeah. And, like, people taunt her. What? Crazy. Huh. Tallulah Bankhead in Die Die My Darling. Martha Heyer. Heard of that one. Yeah. Martha Heyer and Zsa Zsa Gabor in Picture Mommy Dead. It's <laughs> a great title. It is a great That's baller, man. Yeah. Simone Signore in Games, Eleanor Parker in Eye of the Cat, and Lauren Bacall in The Fan. All of these were huge actresses, you know, back in the day that got these kind of B-movie horror you know, exploitation films that just took them because what else are you going to do? What years were those? Was that 70s or still 60s? This is all the end of the 60s. Okay. So this is kind of like 1965 through 1969. Okay, gotcha. One of my favorites is Whatever Happened to Aunt Alice in 1969, which featured Geraldine Page, who is widowed and broke and takes to getting housekeepers to invest their life savings with her financial investors, and then she kills them and buries them in the backyard. Wow. All of this goes great until Ruth Gordon... Nice, yeah, Ruth one Gordon. Of your favorites shows I know. up. Love me some Ruth Gordon. The plot isn't that great, but the performances are so good. I mean, Ruth Gordon is like thirty years older than than Geraldine Page at the time. It's worth the watch. She could still of, kick her ass. Oh too. God, Ruth Gordon's amazing. Yeah. yeah. In the 70s, there were a few more hagsploitation films like Flesh Feast with Veronica Lake okay. and Savage Intruder with Miriam Hopkins. But the real queen of hags in the 70s is Shelley Winters. Oh, yeah. Um, she was in the weird, not very good Western Bloody Mama in 1970, okay. followed by Whoever Slew Auntie Rue. Ooh. And no, What's the that. Matter with Helen, both in 1971. What's the Matter with Helen actually had two stars. They, it had Debbie Reynolds as well. Goodness. And then she made Cleopatra Jones in 1973. Nice. Yeah. If you don't know Shelley Winters, uh, I'm not a huge fan of her work, but she played Roseanne's grandmother in a few episodes of Roseanne as well in the oh, 80s. Oh, I'd forgotten all about she that. She worked through her entire career. Right. So Up until know. her death, pretty much. Yep. Got to respect that. Yeah. A few more straggling hags would continue throughout the early 70s, like Dear Dead Delilah in 1972 (laughs) with Agnes Moorhead. Great. Agnes Moorhead was in Citizen Kane and the Magnificent Ambersons. Okay. Wow. was Endora and Bewitched, but of course was resigned to hag movies later in her life. It's kind of, it's a little sad. It is a little sad. But even Elizabeth Taylor in 1973 did Night Watch, which is kind of an exploitation God, film. I forgot all about that She was one. only 41 and kind of already considered to be an old lady. Right. Persecution in 1974 was Lana Turner's exploitation movie at 53. So, I mean, it turned into like a thing that yeah. old women did to like make a quick buck. Well, what else was there at the time? I mean, it was a, you know. Well, the, exactly. Well, the tights changed a little bit. Piper Laurie had been acting in movies for over 25 years, but also started seeing roles dry up in her early 40s. She was cast as the role of Margaret White in De Palma and Stephen King's Carrie. 
Oh, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But, but that's a great performance. Absolutely. And suddenly the exploitation genre got a much needed freshener. You know, right. I mean, that really kind of, that that boosted it up a little bit. Okay. Piper Laurie acted different in the role than, than a Shelley Winters or a Joan Crawford sure. would have. She was completely nuts. But she was told at the time that it was a black comedy. She didn't know that she was making a horror film while she was doing it. <laughs> Which is something that I want to discuss with you. The interesting thing about Carrie is without... Piper Laurie, that probably isn't even a horror movie. Yeah, and, yeah you're right. Harry is not a scary film, except for Piper Laurie. She's the scary person. She's right. the antagonist of the movie. She's also, the, she sets everything in motion. Carrie's known for the pig blood on the prom which queen. Which is amazing. Which is amazing. Carrie would have been a great film. And that's the straw that broke the camel's back, which right. Piper Laurie is the one that basically put everything in motion. Right. So you're right. She's the reason it's a horror film. And they're all gonna laugh at you. The classic line. Stop it, Mama! Stop hurting yourself, Mama! He's gonna laugh at you. They're all gonna laugh at you. Look, it's not too late. You can stay here with me. I don't want to stay with you, Mama. Look, I'll answer the door and I'll tell him that you're sick. I'll tell him that you changed your mind. She is balls out crazy. Yeah, she's fucking insane. Like in that she's movie. someone that you're terrified of. Yeah. Because that could be a real person. Right. And yeah, she I mean she played it to the hilt was Piper Laurie who was the real villain in that movie. Yeah, agree. Yeah. I, I just wrote that Carrie would have been a good film without Piper Laurie, but it wouldn't have been a horror film. I agree. Yep. I can get on board with that. Remember how I mentioned Joan Crawford had one more role? Yes. She had been dead for four years, but her adopted daughter wasn't ready to let that be the end. She published a book called Mommy Dearest. <sighs> oh. It's, it, this is one of the most craziest Hollywood stories I think yes. that's ever happened. Mommy Dearest was a positively scathing account of how nuts Joan Crawford oh, yeah. was. The book was a hit, so naturally there was a movie adaptation starring Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. Who knows whether the story is true or not? I have no idea. It certainly has some true moments in it. And who knows whether it was supposed to be a serious film or an exploitation of an exploited actress. Either way, both the dead Joan Crawford and the actress that plays her get the exploitation treatment. We, so we talk a lot about movies that when they were released, they were very serious. Mm -hmm. Like they were, mm -hmm. this is a drama and it's hard hitting and it's a, you know, maybe maybe even Oscar bait. But then when it comes out, it's the most ridiculous, over-the-top, yeah. crazy exploitation, like Showgirls or whatever. Is Mommy Dearest is the, the Showgirls of its time. It's so over-the-top and fucking insane that you can't take it seriously because she's so just insane. It's bon it's bonkers. Completely fucking bonkers. Yeah. Faye Dunaway was gunning for a second Oscar after Network in 1976. Right. The movie adaptation of the book would give her the role of a lifetime. I mean, a Hollywood legend that wasn't as perfect as she came off. I mean, this right. was Joan Crawford. You know? Yeah. In some of the movie's most dramatic scenes, Crawford goes crazy and destroys all of the rose bushes in the yard while wearing an evening gown and taking an axe to a tree. Mm -hmm. She rips all of her daughter's clothes out of the closet and beats her daughter with the coat hangers no while screaming wire hangers. ever. No wire hangers! What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire Later, she tries to strangle her when she's acting out. Not sure whether this film was meant to be funny or just way over the top. 
audiences laughed out loud. Oh yeah, it's re- it's so fucking ridiculous. Yeah, Faye Dunaway won the Razzie for Worst Actress and wouldn't talk about the part for 20 years, instructing reviewers to not question her about it in interviews. It eventually won Worst Movie of the Decade. I'm calling it, this was not intended to be a dark comedy. This was a serious take on Joan Crawford, as the filmmakers thought it was going to be. They probably told her to, you know, you really need to to go all out and embrace this role, and it became just fucking ridiculous. I mean, it's just so nuts. It's crazy. So, Joan Crawford, I mean, in the movie, she's not a murderer, but she was crazy. And if all of this ended up being real, then she was the craziest of of hagsploitation Agreed. actresses of that. all yeah. time. Yeah. Crawford's daughter did the one that wrote the book did see the movie and said it was a little over the top for her taste too. <laughs> wow. Dunaway has only really said that she wished that the director had more experience at the time and he would have reined her back in a little bit instead of pushing her to go further. Right. But and I wrote that Mommy Dearest is is probably the first lifetime movie. That's that's fair. Yeah. And accurate. It's I agree with that. Over dramatic about primarily women and it has a snappy bitchy ending it's kind <laughs> of a great movie which is why it's a huge success at the box office right. although they retooled the advertising campaign to make it look more like a comedy so once they realized that people weren't buying it then they were like oh they they amped up its camp value right. to be able to you know make another buck sure and again lending a lot of material to gay guys and drag queens for the next 25 years <laughs> yeah <laughs> Great. But someone would end up winning an Oscar for being an exploited hag. Okay. Kathy Bates as uh, Annie Wilkes in yes, Misery. Of That's considered, yeah, I guess, uh, based on your rules, based on your established Close. rules, we'll say that. She was 44 at the time, so okay. she was a little younger. But like many of the younger hags, she could have been older and the part wouldn't have changed. Right. She was just the right actress for the part. So, you know, she could have played that same role at 60 as she sure. played at 44, and it still would have been a great movie. Yeah. One of the reasons Kathy Bates is so tremendous as Annie Wilkes is because the layered personalities that she has in the movie. Right. She's violent and crazy sometimes, but she's sullen and depressed at other moments. She's less murderous. She only kills one person right. uh, than most of the hag murderers, but she's really scary. Yeah, and she's ruthless. And you know, that's okay. That fits because she's also very nice in some scenes. Yeah. And she's very friendly, even kind of goofy and sort of awkward and like a nice lady. But she's, yeah, then she breaks your fucking ankles. And that's the way, if you know any truly crazy people that's the way crazy people yeah. are well, that's they're why she wants. very she, two-sided right yeah. and it's and it's a like a switch yeah. from depressed you know manic depressive to very friendly to homicidal yep yeah. you know so uh, that's fair you dirty bird how could you misery chastain cannot be dead misery spirit is still alive i don't want her spirit i want her and you murdered her Annie. Whatever you think I'm not doing, please don't do it. Any of the gods. Shh, darling. Trust me. God's sake. It's for the best. God, I love you. Requiem for a Dream. Oh. Maybe yes. the last of the almost true hagsploitation films. That's fair. I can see that. Yeah. It's the story of four people struggling with different addictions in different ways. You're right. But are, all are centered around Sarah Goldfarb, played by Ellen Burstyn. Mm-hmm. 
Sarah is a retired, widowed Brooklyn woman who wants nothing more than to be on TV and starts taking diet pills when she learns she'll be on a game show. Mm -hmm. She gets addicted to the diet pills and falls into crazy land, eventually getting shock treatment at the end of the film. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, and it's harsh. It's really harsh. She she did get nominated for an Oscar. She didn't win. That's too um, bad. Yeah. Because she was amazing. It was That was Julia Roberts for Aaron Brockovich won that year. Okay. It was time. But, so. I mean, shouldn't Ellen Burstyn have gotten... Uh, I'm surprised she wasn't nominated for support. Supporting actress. I mean, I guess you're saying she's a lead, but I didn't, I mean, I think they could have campaigned for her to get supporting. So here's what I'm saying. It's questionable whether this can be considered true hagsploitation, but based on the criteria I made up, it qualifies. Okay. Ellen Burson was almost 70 when she played Sarah, and she was certifiably nuts and terrifying by the end. Yes. She received top billing, making her the main character, mm, along with okay. her Best Actress nomination. And while she was, Ellen Burstyn was working all through the 80s and 90s, this was a comeback film for her. Yeah, I agree. Also, one last thing, she wanted to be on TV in the movie. So that added the type of like Hollywood, I want to be famous, you know, type right. of thing in order. And she wanted to wear that red dress so she could be on TV because oh, yeah. anybody who's anyone's on TV. Yeah. So that adds a little bit of the glamour and, and theatrics, you know, huh. to, to this. So I'm saying that this is a hagsploitation film. Okay, I'll allow it. The judges allow it. Yeah. All right. We got a winner. Oh, we got a winner. We got a winner. She's a beautiful woman with a winning sense of humor and a magical smile. She's really going to win your heart. Straight from Brighton Beach, Brooklyn. Please give a juicy welcome to our very own Mrs. Sarah Goldfarb. Juice by Sarah. Juice by Sarah. Juice by Sarah. And that is one smashing dress you have on. Kathy, if you don't mind, I would just like to say hello to my husband, Seymour, and to my beautiful, successful son, Harold. I hope you're in love. Please come and see me. If you haven't seen Requiem for a Dream, it's, I consider it to be, it's not one of my favorite films of all time, but I think it's a perfect film. It's my favorite Darren Aronofsky's film. Yeah. It's beautifully done. There were so many interesting filming techniques that yeah. were employed. The soundtrack is like one of the few soundtracks that I listen to on iTunes. It's it's beautifully done. If you have teenage kids, and even though this movie's fucked up, this is like the best anti-drug movie that was ever made. Yeah. And if you want to scare the fuck out of them to not do heroin, yeah, sit them in front of this movie because it's fucked up. What's interesting too is like they had the ugly, like she aged well. She, she did, and she's a glamorous, beautiful woman in her seventies. They had to put like so she's all sunken in and has like stretch marks on her neck and yeah. stuff. But those are all prosthetics because they had to make her, they had to uglier up to make her look like a old junkie lady right. addicted to pills. So they had to ugly up a 70-year-old woman to make her look bad right, to be exactly. in this movie. Yeah. So it's, it's really and great. It's funny because a lot of the, I mean, uh, Betty Davis and whatever happened to baby Jane, she wears this silly pancake makeup and yeah. like whatever to try to emulate what she looked like when she was a child too. So even, you know, the idea of like these actresses like, you know, caking on this makeup for these right. roles, you know, is, is well-worn territory. So that kind of brings us up to date. I think that uh, sure. Requiem for a Dream was kind of the last one, but I've got a whole bunch of other things that I think that we can discuss and okay. you can determine
determine whether some of these are hagsploitation. All right, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, so we talked about on our flashcards that Louise Fletcher and Flowers in the Attic. Sure. Which I think we kind of decided no, but what's interesting is Flowers in the Attic was remade for Lifetime. <laughs> yes, in it 2014. Was. Oh god, I didn't see it, but I heard. Do you know who played Louise Fletcher's character? <sighs> yeah. Oh, oh, we just talked about this. Ellen Burstyn. Ellen. Oh, that's yeah. right. Oh, motherfucker. So, I knew it. even yes. after Requiem for a Dream, right. Ellen Burstyn took on another kind of hagsploitation oh, right. role yeah. in gotcha. Flowers yeah. in the Attic in the remake. Yeah. I watched both of them. I watched the first one to determine whether I thought that it was a hagsploitation movie, and I just enjoyed it so much that I got the remake, even though, you know, it probably isn't. How is she in that? I mean, I know the whole thing's awful. Oh, jeez. Well, I read Flowers in the Attic when I was way too young to read Flowers in the Attic. Mm. So I, I read I, all, I read like Stephen King when I was way too young to read that. Yeah. So it's a time period. I mean, it's melodrama. And it's also, it's one of these like crazy stories where you're just like, what? Right. Like, what? Every girl in school when I was in like middle school, was reading this fucking book. This was the, the yeah. horror book that every girl in school read. I think that it Guys was Guys didn't of read like, it except you. Right. But, but well, girls, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you read Judy Bloom and that was like what girls read, then Flowers of the Attic was the X-rated Judy yeah, you Bloom. You graduated from Judy Bloom. That's the natural progression. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like kind of like, oh, I, you know, I read this during the day, but at night when I shut the door, I read Flowers in the Attic. And there's and, 50 sequels to it. Yeah, Petals on the wind unfortunately the remake of flowers in the attic isn't really as good as the first one and the first one they go off of the novel right and um and at the end their mother who is you know who roller girl plays in the in the remake um is getting married they confront her in front of the whole thing and she falls off of the balcony and is hung by her own veil (laughs) which is a stupid and amazing ending to the movie it's both of these things of course lifetime wanted to make profit off of this so they kind of stuck to the book which doesn't have a great ending because it has to pave the way for the sequel. And so if you just watch the remake of Flowers in the Attic, it doesn't have that like amazing, they just get out and they're like, bye. Mm. So that they can go on to make the sequel, which gotcha. is Petals right. on the Wind. So, and then beyond. Right. The 1987 movie did a much better job of ending it because there was no sequel planned. They were just like, hang the bitch at the end. You know, nice. Bitches. Hang the bitch. Mm-hmm. That's a good term. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was remade in 1991 with real-life sisters Lynn and Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, wow. Terrible. It was made for TV. Terrible reviews. Okay. You know, and everyone was like, whatever. But that's interesting that they use the gimmick of real-life sisters. Yeah. Jackie Weaver in Animal Kingdom. Did you ever see this? No. I saw it at the theater. I didn't really care for the film. Um, what year was that? 2011. Okay. Jackie Weaver is in Silver Linings Playbook. Okay. She plays the mother of, what's his name? Uh, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Okay, yeah. Um, but before this, and she got an Oscar nomination for that. Before this, she was nominated for an Oscar in for Best Supporting Actress in the movie Animal Kingdom. Okay. Which, I'm going to get this wrong, but I th- I watched it in the theater and then I fell asleep through and I slept through most of it. Great. Um, it's an Australian crime kind of like mob movie. I I've guess heard they of they have mobs in Australia. Yes. Yeah. Don't you know? Um, but she kind of plays like the matriarch character. It's, she's probably not crazy, but I thought it was it was worth noting. Okay. Melissa Leo in the movie Prisoners. Did you see that one? No, it was on my list to watch. Well, I won't spoiler it, but she kind of has a crazy, uh, ends up being kind of a crazy old lady. Okay. 
The Visit in 2015. So that's the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. Didn't see it, but um, I, I know about it. Yeah. Heard it was pretty good. Yeah. There was a movie called Rabid Grannies in 1988. I did not see it, but I know about that yeah, as well. Yeah. That one's kind of a cult classic, you know, like a video cult classic. I watched it. It, it was it was funny and interesting, and, and I enjoyed it, but it was kind of like, it's so schlocky that it kind of doesn't really. It's kind of like a gore, like trauma type film. Oh, okay. So it doesn't really quite classify as a Hagsboy. Right. Film. I added this at the last minute because I was talking to some people about it work and they and they mentioned this Mrs. Ganoush in Drag Me to Hell. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Bitch, bitch is crazy. Yeah, bitches be crazy. She's kind of like a crazy, like, fortune teller Gypsy lady. Yeah, type mm-hmm. character. I don't think that she necessarily classifies because she's not a main character. And also, that's that's more of, like, a horror film in the terms that it's, like, supernatural and it's ghostly or whatever. And most right. of the hagsploitation films do not have an element of supernatural. Right. But I thought that it was... Uh, worth noting. That it was worth noting. Yeah. So that pretty much brings us up to date. Okay. So that is a hagsploitation of film. Did I miss anything? Not that I can think of. Even though hagsploitation seems to be an extreme case of crazy. And I, I'm trying to think of an example, but you know, I feel like the trend now of trying to bring back older actresses to give them roles that are significant, although not hagsploitation, I think there's a push, but I can't think of anything that stands out. I think we're seeing more older actresses uh, showing up in TV now, now that we're kind of in the golden okay. age of TV. That makes sense. That seems to be the place to really drudge up some old talent. One big one seems to be American Horror Story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's been huge for Jessica Lange. She's been nominated for Emmys. She's won a sure. couple, you know, yeah. and and that's been a thing. Kathy Bates was in it. That's true. Um, even uh, Tina Turner. Angela Bassett, it's her 50s now, and yeah. is playing an American Horror Story. So that's the, that's the thing. It's kind of like, where are these roles for older women? I feel like they're mostly showing up now in, in TV. And the good news is they're not necessarily crazy either. I mean, some are. Well, okay. But I mean, it's a draw. It, it's sure. one of those things where it's like, you know, do you want to watch Driving Miss Daisy? Nobody wants to watch that. So we, do you want to well, watch for number you know, fucking Jessica Lang kill people? I'd rather watch that I would like than to Driving watch Miss Jessica Daisy. Lang kill yeah. people. Yeah, that makes sense. But again, the the older crazy lady isn't necessarily a hagsploitation film. Here's one. Mm-hmm. It's serial mom hagsploitation. Oh. Yeah, okay. I, threw, I just so, threw that one at you, didn't right. I? right, that's really, I hadn't even thought of that. I mean, that's Kathleen Turner at probably, I mean, she had a son in high school and a she was out daughter in She had to be in her you think almost she was 50s. She was almost. in late 40s or in 50s. I guess technically that prop, she's a murderer. She's, she's certifiably crazy. The movie is named after her, so she's the main character. Yeah, I mean, I think she's a little young. And she did end up being kind of a sexploitation type of thing because remember in the courtroom scene, she's pumping her legs. Remember that scene? I, that was more for a parody. I think that was a, because she was, this was out of the time frame of when she was hot because she was hot in like body heat. Right. Like the, she was in the Romancing the Stone movies and she was pretty hot. Was she in those? Yeah. Okay, yeah, she so was. she was pretty hot in those. And this was clearly where she was out of that. And it was John Waters' movie. So of course he would parody sexuality right, based sure. on someone who was out of yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's pretty good. I still feel like she's a little bit young but again, we talked. We said Margaret White. You know, she was forty-four, so that was very young to right. be a high exploitation film. Sure, good right. ad. All right, I ad. called it. Yeah, all right. Real quick, there is a book called Grand Dame Guignol, which covers a lot of this in much better detail. I re- actually 
read the book. Um, nice. And it was really, really helpful. So okay. I wanted to shout that out. On a closing note, I would like to mention that Betty Davis and Joan Crawford never cleared the air in the next 30 years after they made Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Okay. Um, after Joan died, Betty Davis, always great with a one-liner, said, quote, you should never say bad things about the dead, only good. Joan Crawford is dead. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. What a bitch. What a all till the end, a fucking bitch. Oh, I love it. I That's love amazing. It. I, all right. Well, hope you enjoyed it. And I we'll did. be back next week with another lowbrow film lesson. All right. See you later. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Slums of Film History. You can find us on the web at slumsoffilmhistory.com where you can find links to some of the movies we talked about today, as well as Bad Movie Monday, our recommendation for the worst of the worst films every Monday night. Please, please, please fact check us. And if we left something out or got something wrong, let us know in the comment section of each week's topic. We're not professionals, just two friends that love gross movies. 